A conversation with Ryan Nolan of Breakout Sports Cards. Is there a vintage sports card boom coming? My guest today is Ryan Nolan of Breakout Cards. His website is breakoutsportscards.com. I bought a card off of Ryan, actually, a couple months ago. It was the first card I ever bought off of Twitter. It was a 1971 Willie Mays, and you'll hear in this conversation we talk briefly about that. But that's how I was introduced to um, Breakout Cards and Ryan. And about two weeks or so later, I saw one of his posts on Twitter, and it was a post that said, He believes that in one to two years, there'll be a big vintage boom. And that caught my attention. So I said, you know, I got to reach out to this guy. So I did. And uh, here's what I'm going to say up front about our phone conversation. If you listen closely to what he says in this phone conversation, you will, I guarantee it, you will come away with some real gold nuggets. Okay, you're going to learn some things. He's a young guy. He's 23 years old, and yet he has the perspective, I believe, and the knowledge of someone who's much, much older and experienced than than he is in this industry. He's been in there in the industry for a decent amount of time for someone his age, right? He's, you know, he started as a kid, but he has an encyclopedic knowledge of sports cards, all areas of the industry, especially vintage. So give it a listen. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, man. Thanks for jumping on. Hey, no problem. So I've been meaning to talk to you because if you remember, I a few months back, I purchased. Actually, this was the first card I ever purchased off Twitter was the 71 Maze card. Oh, I remember that. That was a nice one. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, I think I I think I messaged you that. Uh, I like to collect the turn back the clock cards from the eighties and nineties. And that was, uh, that was one of the cards, you know, that, uh, Willie Mays turn back the clock. That's the card featured on there. So that was one that I wanted. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That was the seven, right? Yep. Sweet. Yeah. You have a great card, man. I love the 71s, but for my PC right now, I need to, I'm trying to chase other things and then go back and get some other stuff like the 71s. There's so much to freaking get out there. Yeah, and I, I believe you were, at the time, you were trying to build up a little bankroll for the National uh, as that was coming up now that yep. it just ended. Yeah, and I was, I was happy about it because I got a huge PC card at the National. What'd you get? I got a Joe Lewis rookie as a PSA 7. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. I, and, that, and that's what's cool, too, is I've noticed that on um, Twitter, I, I you know, when you post a lot of the cards that you get, when I first started following you, I, I first, you know, I, I saw a lot of the, the vintage stuff, which I thought was really cool as far as like baseball. But then I started seeing you posting boxing and cricket. And yeah. I couldn't, I mean, you, you collect a wide range of stuff. I do. It, I, I get bored if I go after one sport because there's so many different sports out there. I mean, like growing up, I obviously dominated towards baseball. And I mean, I played baseball and everything like that. But when you open your horizons and realize how many different sports there is, how many different brands of cards, and it, it becomes really interesting. It, it com- the hobby becomes even more fun. Like I, 
I, I don't want to sound rude to people, but I don't know how people just only collect like one or two years of modern players because there's so much out there to explore and find. Now, would you say, because the other thing that caught my eye too, which led me to contact you as far as coming on the podcast, is it was a tweet you made back in July. And you were basically what the tweet said was you foresee a possible uh, boom or further boom in vintage in like the next year or two. Do you still believe that? Absolutely. And I already see it happening on Twitter. I see people that only collected modern now going after Mickey Mantle cards and Willie Mays. And I think a lot more YouTubers are as well because people have contacted me asking to learn a little bit about vintage. And I already see people getting bored with just collecting the same modern stuff over and over again and finally starting to explore it. Because at least in my opinion, the collector's experience, anytime you go to a new hobby, you're going to learn what everyone's doing. Well, everyone's doing modern right now. So everyone focuses on that. And then as you become more of an expert, you realize there's more out there and you start slowly expanding horizons. And now would you, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? How old do you think I am? Uh, well, from your videos, oh, you, well, I, I think you're in your, you're probably in your twenties, right? I'm 23. 23. Yeah. So that, that's, what's cool, man. Is I mean, for me, I'm a 40 year old guy who, you know, I grew up during the junk wax era, but the interesting thing with me was a lot of my friends were obviously going after Conseco's and Griffey's and, you know, I was a little too, but because of my dad, because he used to fill my head with all these stories from the 50s and 60s about Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, Stan Musial. Even as a kid, I was always like more interested in those guys. Now, I couldn't afford to get, you know, the turn back the clock cards were about as close as I could get to those cards back then. But, you know, as I got older into my 30s and now I'm 40, um, you know, I find myself that that's like my main interest. And I really enjoy getting those the most. So would you say as a 23 year old, are, are you in the minority of like the guys that you hang around with at the shows and stuff? I know you said you're getting more into it, but you seem like it's, it's probably not as much of a common thing now still to, for guys like your age to, to be more into vintage than the modern, right? Yeah. I mean, there, like there's no one my age really in the modern. I mean, I'm, I mean, sorry, let me say it again. There's not really people my age that are into the vintage side of things. I'm starting to see some like 30 year olds and obviously there's a lot of 40 year olds in vintage. Uh, but in the early 20s, there's really no one out there. I mean, there's people that have a few cards, but not predominantly like 80, 90 percent vintage. And was it your I, I was reading your website. Is it would you attribute your interest in vintage? Is that uh, because your dad had a card shop when you were younger? Yeah, a lot of that. Um, so my dad had a card shop before I was born. He ended up selling it in the 90s when the whole market crashed. Um, a lot of similarities between back then and right now. Obviously, different types of junk wax right now. We're kind of in a junk slab area where no matter what, someone gets a card, they send it in to get slabbed, thinking that they're going to make money off of it. Creates a whole other market. And that can be a full-on discussion for hours and hours. Plus, with all the different parallels, I mean, look how many one-of-ones there is of players now. It's more of a novelty now than it is of like finding a very, very rare card. But beyond that point, when the whole market ended up crashing, my dad uh, sold his business and... Uh, Sold all of the cards. He didn't actually keep one card uh, from his card shop. He liquidated everything and uh, got a nine to five job and was done with it. Wow. But did he pass on? I mean, as far as like the influence did he was, he like, you know, talking about Mickey Mantle and vintage guys a lot to you when you were younger. Absolutely. Um, so he always talked about, he's like, why well, are you going to go after players that are brand new when you can get vintage cards <laughs> at a fraction of the price. I mean, it makes no sense. You can get a Johnny Bench rookie 
cheaper than uh, some of your other catching prospects. Even look like right now, um, what's the guy from the Orioles right now? Adley, uh, is it Rashman or something like that? What's his last name? Don't remember exactly. Uh, I, it's I know who you're talking. It's escaping me too. That that yeah. shows what I'm more into as well. <laughs> yeah, I um, God, I think it starts with an R. But people are spending hundreds of dollars on his card right now, even thousands, thinking he's gonna be the next big thing. And as funny enough, if you look at Buster Posey cards from 2008 through 2010, his prospect years, they're cheaper than this guy. And you're talking about the best catcher right now in the last 10, 15 years, right? Besides, I've had Yadier Molino is really good, but he's more of a defensive catcher than he is offensively. If you look at Posey, he's been the best recently. And Posey's cheaper than this prospect who's 23 years old. Nothing against the kid, right? Like the same age as me. He could have a great career, but Posey, who's really good, is cheap still. You look at Johnny Bench, he's super cheap. Yogi Berra, Yankee legend with, with what, 10 or 11 rings on top of multiple like MVP awards. And he's, he's did everything in his career. He's a household name. Look how cheap his rookie card is from a 1948 Bowman. And people are going to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on a prospect expecting this guy to be the best catcher of all time. Yet nine out of 10 prospects fail. And even the one out of 10 that don't fail doesn't mean that they're going to be perennial all-stars year after year. They could be a bench player. They could be an average player overall. People don't realize how difficult it is to make it to the major leagues and then how difficult it is to even be an all-star or play at the same level. I mean, if you look at the data of how many number one draft picks even make the Hall of Fame or not, or not even just do well in the major leagues, you'd be astounded. Or how many number one prospects over and over again. Um, I did a video a while ago where I was looking at number one prospects since 2010 or 2009. And I think there's only like two or three of them that are even all-stars right now, which really, really surprised me. I mean, there's people like, I think it was Matt Moore on top of my head, who was once ranked above both Bryce Harper and also Mike Trout. And people thought he was going to be the next big pitcher. And obviously I'm, I'm comparing the catcher to pitcher a little bit different, but the point is like prospecting is a crapshoot. Sure. You can look at the numbers and you can kind of predict if a player is going to be a top prospect or not. But beyond that, the translation between the minor leagues and the major leagues is very difficult to predict. And you're putting thousands of dollars into a prospect, hoping they become the next big thing. And you already can get the next big thing cheaper than these prospects. There's a market imbalance. Right. And, and that, and that's where it gets me too, is, you know, because for me, I like to, from time to time, I'll just, you know, take a flyer on a, on a prospect or young unproven guy, but I'm not, not willing to pay the amount of money. Like I'm not, I'd rather get a, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle, like mid grade card of one of his like, you know, mid career cards for the same price that I could get one of these prospects who hasn't even come into the major leagues yet. I'm not doing that. I might take like a flyer if I can get a, you know, like one of the guys that was just looking at blaze Jordan, he's a real young guy in the Red Sox organization, but you know, you can get his like PSA 10 rookie um, cards for 50 bucks, something like that. So I'll take a little flyer here and there, not expecting anything to happen with it for it to be worth basically nothing in the future. But uh, it's, it's fun because then it gives you a little, Hey, maybe I can keep an eye on that guy when he, when he comes into the league. But to your point, it makes no sense whatsoever. If you're trying to make money, uh, even in the long term, uh, you know, y- y- I believe the same thing. I believe that vintage is really the way to go. Yeah. And I'll add on that. Like, I, it's not like I don't prospect. So one of the guys I prospected about a year and a half ago was CJ Abrams. I looked at the MLB scouting reports. I saw this guy had 80 grade speed 
I think he had like a 70 bat and people were complaining about his power. But what I've realized, like watching these prospects year after year, players develop power over time. It's not like you can't go to the gym and get more muscle. It's not like you can't train for power. And especially when a baseball is getting thrown at you 9,500 miles per hour, right? If you make specific contact, you're going to hit a lot of home runs with that. And I looked at the Padres organization with how many prospects they have in the development. And I saw CJ Abrams, who's like, I don't know, 30 or 40 in the list. And saw his prices, they were so cheap. So I started buying up a lot of CJ Abrams stuff. Now he's a top 10 prospect. If I wanted to sell right now, I'd probably be up a five or six X return, which I might sell some of the stuff just to afford vintage. Unfortunately, he got hurt, but it's like where the market at is at right now. And it makes no sense to me, but you know, it's how the market works is you make more money prospecting players from going from the bottom of the prospect list to the top 10 than a player now becoming a rookie and into the hall of fame in let's say 20 or the 25 years. There's such an imbalance because people want instant money. There's people now that don't collect cards. All they look at it as a way of flipping rather than holding into a collection. Um, it's just a completely different mindset um, compared to vintage cards in the past. I mean, if you look at the old collectors, the people who want vintage, people will buy cards and hold on to it for 20 or 30 years. They're not going to leave their collection. They're going to hold on to it and say, I love this Mickey Mantle card. I'm never getting rid of it. And it goes into a shoebox or it goes into a safe. And someone's going to hold on to that card until they die or until they need cash. And then they sell it and it gets recycled back into the ecosystem. That's why vintage cards are so hard to find sometimes, especially pre-war, because the people who collect these cards are diehards. They aren't going to want to give up that card for nothing. Now, on the other hand, where the culture is at right now, and I think a lot of it comes from the sneaker game that came into here. And then also a lot of the people that are looking for a quick money as they'll buy a prospect or buy a card and they'll flip the card by next week instead of holding on to the asset. And now we have this whole generation of collectors now that no longer holds on to cards. They're more of quick flip, quick flip, flip, quick flip, and just continue to recycle through cards so, so fast. I, I, I completely agree. And it's so refreshing to hear a guy your age with that level of thinking and knowledge and perspective really that, you know, and I don't blame a lot of the newer collectors or, or investors that just got into it uh, is because they, you know, they don't have, they don't have the experience. So they're going to learn certain things as time goes on and there's no right or wrong way to do it. But you know, the way I, this is a, this is a big question that I talk about with, you know, other people I know who do collecting in, in the way I collect is I've been collecting for about 30 years and, you know, just over the last 10 years or so, I've started to, started to collect, um, you know, more of the vintage, you know, Mickey Mantle cards. Mickey Mantle is my main collector. And one of the, one of the theories I've heard out there, I believe it was, uh, I think it was the sports card investor, which I I saw a cool video with you making a deal with him at a card show, which, (laughs) which was cool. Uh, but anyway, what his, I think one of his, in one of his older videos that I saw, I like, I really like his stuff. Um, it was that he, he believes that over time and that we're talking maybe, you know, 15, 20 years, he, he feels that maybe the value of now, not the 52 mantle or his rookie, you know, the 51, but we're talking like, you know, mid grade stuff, a lot of stuff like that. I have mid like five, six, seven grades, um, in like, you know, 56 mantle and stuff like that. Not rookie stuff. He, he feels that and others do as well, that over time as the people who, move on from the hobby to put it one way um you know over the next 15 to 20 years 
there's going to be less people who have that connection. Like I have a connection to Mickey Mantle, even though, you know, he played long, he, he died before I even really knew that much about stuff. You know, it's just my dad telling me stuff, but I had that connection to him and I still do and always will through yeah. my dad. But, and, and, and you have your own connection through it. But do you feel, the big question is, do you feel that 15, 20 years from now, are there going to be less people than there is right now who who are willing to pay the current prices or higher prices for those type of Mickey Mantle cars. Do you feel like that market will go down over the long run a little bit? I like Jeff, but I'm going to disagree with the viewpoint on that. And this is because I'm a pre-war collector and people that collect pre-war cards weren't alive when Ty Cobb was around, when Walter Johnson was around or Cy Young was around. These are names that are still getting thrown around today. And they've been dead for what, 60, 70 years if mm-hmm. not more. And if you look at the prices, I still think they're undervalued for their impact on the game of baseball, but there's still so many collectors that want these cards and you go around a card show, you it's hard to find them besides the national and maybe a Dallas here or there, go to your local card show. You're not going to find a Cy Young card. You're not going to find a Walter Johnson. You're not going to find a Christy Mathewson. These are grail cards for people. And even like vintage collectors that don't go after pre-war, they still want these players. Now, your mid-end Hall of Famers and your lower-end Hall of Famers, do I agree some of these things are going to go down over time? Maybe. Um, one thing I look at, I look at a few different things. I look at people that hit milestones, and I also look at specific stats like war. And the reason why, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data analyst full-time. So how I collect is I'm intrigued by the players that hit specific milestones or hit specific marks, the best of the best of the game. Because, like, let's say, for example, a Stan Musial, one of the best players overall in the game. People 30 or 40 years from now are still going to look up as Stan Musial as one of the goats of baseball. They're not going to say, oh, I don't know who Stan Musial is. I don't want a Stan Musial card. They're going to look at the St. Louis Cardinals and say, well, he's a top three Cardinal of all time. Him, Hornsby, and also Albert Pujols, the three best Cardinals. And Cardinals fans are still going to want a Stan Musial card. People that look at stats are going to go, wow, Stan Musial is definitely a top 10, top 20 player. I want a Stan Musial rookie card in my collection. It's the same year as Jackie Robinson. I want to grab one. And they're going to gravitate towards that and buy a Stan Musial card. So I think right there, the if you look at the top tier players for every decade, there's going to be people that are enamored with those specific players or specific stats. There's always going to be people that want to collect players that hit 3,000 hits or someone that hit 500 home runs. Or someone wants to collect the Hall of Famers or stars for their own team. There's always going to be that collector out there that wants those specific players. And one other thing, too, is I personally am a big believer of the market expanding out past America. So one of the things that I'm a huge proponent of is I think the card market is expanding out to Europe more and also to, let's say, Asia. And the reason why, and most people don't realize this, is Europe or I should, I shouldn't say Europe, but the United Kingdom already is huge into vintage cards. They have huge card shows just for pre-war cards. Um, it's like a card society over there. And they're, the, 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 the collectors are so dedicated. Like anytime I talk to a UK collector, they have binders and everything full of cards and they keep theirs in really, really nice shape. Uh, it just, it really amazes me. In fact, like, there's a set of baseball cards called old judge cards from 1887. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about old judge cards is the biggest collection of old judge cards is not in America. It's actually in Europe. It's United Kingdom. So when 
what happened early on is a lot of these UK collectors came over here and started grabbing the tobacco cards and then brought them overseas. So the collector base over there is already established on the vintage side. So these people, let's say younger generation right now, and a lot of people are going into soccer, but if their parents were collectors or their grandparents were collectors, they're collecting pre-war cards. So it's already in their mind over there that, oh, these cards are really, really good. So I think as it expands into Europe, I mean, we've seen soccer cards. You see a lot more soccer YouTubers now from Europe. I see a lot more people shipping cards over there as well and purchases. I think just the hobby's going to continue to grow and people are going to still want these cards. See that, and that's, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you is because I can, you know, just by following your, by the way, I, you have one of the best YouTube channels out there. I mean, the videos that you make are unbelievable. I mean, that that's that's one of the advantages of being a young guy like you. I mean, your videos are like outstanding quality. You could tell you put a lot of work and effort into those and you have the, the knowledge to actually do those. So, um, you know, and, and you, it's so clear by seeing you at all these card shows that you really have the pulse of the market out there. You are talking with people of all age ranges and international people, you know, so I really appreciate that feedback because, you know, me personally, just that question's kind of been in my head because not only have I heard it brought up, but, um, you know, I, I, I I got two kids, two young kids, and I've only sold one card my entire life. So I, I don't plan on doing a, a ton of selling um, anyway. Like I'm keeping my Mickey Mantle cards regardless for a long time and hopefully hand them off to my kids or, you know, sell them down the road 20 years from now, sell some of them and, and give the money to my kids or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think part of you just wants to know, like, hey, am I doing the right thing with some of them? Maybe, you know, maybe it'd be wise to sell sooner, even though I don't want to. But it's good to hear that from someone like you who really has even a better perspective than me to know that, no, there's going to be a, a strong market well into the future, in my opinion. And, and most likely if it goes like it always has, they'll probably even be worth more than they are today. Absolutely. Now, the last question I have for you is I asked this to anyone I talked to, I, I did a um, Twitter poll back in June um, and I, I put a question out there and I, I wanted to get your opinion on it. Basically, the question is, um, you know, February 2021 is what we consider the peak, all-time peak of, of general sports card prices. Do you feel that we will see that level of, of prices, uh, generally speaking, in, in the future? Uh, and if so, what, what time frame? I gave like three options. One was like, uh, yes, within one year, yes, within five years, or yes, within 10 years. And then the last option was no. And actually, 50% of the people said said they they said no it will never reach there that was the result of the poll so i wanted to get your take on that question um so i'm kind of split on this poll i'm gonna say for modern no but for vintage yes so what happened in february obviously modern skyrocketed but the thing about it is the pop reports were so high it's unsustainable i mean when you have 40 50 000, I, I don't know the exact numbers on top of my head so don't say this is exact numbers but i'm to like fifty thousand zions that are graded and or lucas that are graded and you compare that to even junk wax level era card grading i mean there's more lucas graded than there was the shack rookie card and the shack rookie card you can find in dollar boxes lucas a couple hundred dollars where does that make any sense right we're Luca could be a generational player. I don't follow basketball, so I can't tell you for sure. But let's say Luca is a generational player. There's still more of those that are in PSA slabs than Shaquille O'Neal rookie cards. And Shaquille O'Neal rookie cards are dirt cheap. 
and it just from the number side of things it makes no sense why i got pushed that far i think what happened is everyone got so enamored over making money in that flipping culture i was talking about that people were just oh let's buy in let's buy in let's buy in let's buy in and it was like a gold rush for people in fact around that time or even months before when i went to card shows there's a lot of 20 year olds 21 year olds that brought duffel bags of 20 dollars cash would literally drop it on tables and go, I'll take all your Lucas or I'll take all your Zions at local card shows. We're not talking about a Dallas. We're not talking about a national. We're talking about local shows in Tampa and also Clearwater where kids my age were literally dropping all their capital to get in on these cards. Were they flipping them or holding them? I don't know. But what I do know is a lot of people end up getting burned from that. I mean, we look at a 60 to 70% loss on some of the modern basketball and sure some of it's rebounding right now. In fact, like, Let's say your LeBron chromes are rebounding, but you look at what's rebounding. It's the things that were not the lowest pop, but lower pop compared to your 2018 through 2020 prism runs. So I don't think the whole market took a crash. I think it was mostly modern basketball and I don't want to completely rag on modern basketball because I think there's pros of it. I mean, obviously it's bring a lot of people into the hobby, but years ago, man, you could find Kevin Durant rookie cards in dollar boxes. LeBron rookie cards were dirt cheap. This whole, this whole market exploded overnight, and you can't expect it to just to continue to go up. No market does that. There has to be corrections. You can't expect things to go up 100%, 200% every single month. It's not sustainable. At some point, it has to correct itself. At some point, people get priced out. And a lot of people didn't realize that hindsight. I mean, you're it, it's so much parallels back into the junk wax era. The Canseco being, what, $50, at one point? Mm-hmm. Right. And now what is it? A 10 cent card, maybe a dollar or $2 to a Conseco fan if it's in good shape. So there's so many different parallels between this right now and the junk wax era. There's people that would literally grade any card, get it back in an eight, nine or 10 and make money off of it. And it made no sense from the grading company's standpoint to keep accepting these cards. People spent $10, flood the system with dollar cards and then sell them for 40 or $50. And it created a whole ecosystem, which people are now calling the junk slab era. And I think it's going to get worse when all these orders are coming in. PSA is going to be over a year behind, assuming they don't hire new people or build out new processes. I don't know what's going behind the scenes with that. But what happens when all these cards come back? How many more more Prism cards from modern basketball or modern football cards or modern baseball cards were in those submissions? Millions probably, right? So when those come back, are the prices going to go up? No, people want to liquidate that stuff because you hear every single person on Twitter or on YouTube now saying, oh, only go for the low pop stuff, low pop stuff. And even the low pop market, I'm in a disagreement with all these people saying just buy low pop stuff. There's low pop stuff that are junk cards. Your scorecards, it doesn't matter. They're junk cards. They're dollar packs. Why are you going after a scorecard just because it's low pop? There's millions of them out there. People are just going to submit them and the pop reports are going to rise again. Even a score numbered card, no one's wanted those over the past. And now people think stuff like that could be valuable just because it's a low pop. There's more to a card than just being low pop or being a good brand. There's so many different factors to it. And I think eventually people are going to get smarter with it. I think already I'm starting to see people getting a little bit smarter with it. Um, but we'll see. Now on the vintage side, I think I'm a huge proponent of vintage. I really think within the next two or three years, vintage is going to double or triple, if not more, because I think People, like I said, are getting smarter. They're going to go back and say, why is a Mickey Mantle card just as cheap as 
a numbered card of a modern player in basketball. I'm going to go after a Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle is going to be a household name forever. I mean, he's synonymous with the New York Yankees. He's the closest thing that people have to Babe Ruth, right? Everyone knows Babe Ruth. After that, maybe Joe DiMaggio, but a lot of young people don't know DiMaggio anymore. Everyone knows Babe, or everyone knows Mickey Mantle. So I think with this whole generation, they're going to go towards the vintage cards eventually. And then because they're so low pop compared to what's printed today, if the market continues to rise, more people get into it. It makes sense that that goes up, but I just can't see ultra modern continue to rise where it did. I think the next uh, class of cards that it's going to go is first, you're going to have a run from between the 1950 and 1970s cards, or I should say 48 through probably 75. If I want to be more specific, because that's your post-war cards. People aren't going to venture into pre-war right away because it's stepping stones. You just don't go from ultra modern to collecting T206 cards. You start with vintage. You might know a little bit, some of those players. And then once people build out their collection through that, then they're going to go to pre-war. And I think that's when pre-war cards are going to really skyrocket. It's going to price out a lot of people, but people are going to start clamoring onto them. I mean, Ty Cobb is still cheap for being the probably second or third best baseball player of all time. Man, I, I already know the next time we talk, I already know what I want to start with first. It's going to be the junk slab era. I, I literally, I could, like you said earlier, I could go an hour just on that itself because I have so many, <laughs> I have so many thoughts because again, I'm 40. I, I lived through the, the first junk era and I didn't, you know, I still love cards. I always will always have, but it's just, it really is amazing to see the history repeating itself in a different form, but it's really the same lessons unfortunately i hope it's not as painful as the first one was i don't think it will be but um yeah it's just in a different form but it's kind of the i'm seeing it's like deja vu a little bit you know so it's uh i I feel like in order for the market to move on in a way i think a lot of people have to just say all right i I bought i bought these these cards in january february march of this year and i just gotta i gotta move on from them one way or the other i can hold them i can just put them away and say I'll put them away long term. Maybe they'll go up. Uh, maybe it won't. Or I maybe I just sell them and and put that money. I'll take that loss, put that money into smarter investments like vintage. Um, so I, I think that a lot of people are, it's it's a hard decision to make, but I think a lot of people are going to have to face that here coming up. Absolutely. And you, and you know what the funny thing is too, you know what's gone up since February. Vintage. All the cards I've been tracking, or the cards, a lot of cards I've been purchasing, have gone up 30 percent. So while everything else has been decreasing, vintage is continue to go rise up. And for people that are listening that think vintage is just gonna absolutely explode, it could. And I could be wrong, but I think like after it has like its initial boost, it'll just go up 10 to 15% every year. That's all it does, except for like your really, really high grade. And for those people that are also in the modern, they're listening right now. The parallels between like vintage cards and modern cards today. What I look at like with high grades of cards is kind of like the serial numbered cards. So back in your 60s and 70s, let's say, for example, Mickey Mantle, um, he has pretty much one card for every year. So you're going to get that card graded. It can range anywhere, obviously, from a one through a 10. I look at cards like six, seven, eights as like low parallel numbered cards of today. Now, people chase a LeBron card because it's numbered to 25 or numbered to 50. Well, it's the same as getting like a Mickey Mantle, let's say a 1966 Mantle that's a PSA 8. There's only so many of those out there. It's kind of like getting your numbered card of today. I think that's the best way to kind of explain to people that aren't into 
uh, the vintage side of things. So take your grades and kind of view it as like a serial number. I mean, there's only so many of these cards available. So as you get a higher grade, the lower number it is kind of like today with the pops. Yeah. And, and when I, I kind of hadn't been following too much until beginning of this year. And when I started jumping in and even before I started this podcast, I was listening to some other ones and, you know, on a few of them, I'd hear people, this was like in the heat of the market. They, they say things like, you know, I, I don't really care too much about pop, pop reports or, you know, any of that stuff. I think it's overblown. And I'm sitting there listening, going, uh Oh, that's not, that's not good advice. But looking at the population is uh, huge. I do that before. Now, did I do that when I first got back into it? No, but I learned, I learned my lesson. Um, so I think the best advice you give someone is before you buy any card, find out how many in that grade are actually out there first. That's, that's key information before you even purchase anything. Absolutely. And people would be surprised at how little some of this stuff is. Um, and you can still find deals out at shows for the, the vintage cards. You just have to know what you're looking for and put in the work, even like through common boxes and $2 boxes. It's more of like learning the names, learning the brands, and you'll find deals out there. It, you're just panning for gold. Well, Ryan, I, I kept even longer than I said just because <laughs> I could I could talk about this stuff forever. But I really appreciate you jumping on, and I look forward already to the next time we talk. Absolutely. It's going to be a ton of fun. I appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye now. All right, again, that was Ryan Nolan of Breakout Cards, his website, breakoutsportscards.com. And as I mentioned, I think he has one of the best YouTube channels in the sports card industry. He goes to so many card shows. The videos he makes uh, documenting his trips and um, you know experiences at the card shows are awesome, especially for someone like me who it's not really in the cards right now to go to card shows. Uh, so... I really enjoy those videos and he makes others too where he talks about spotting fake cards out there, uh, helpful tips and, and you name it. It's just a great channel. If you're into sports cards, you should subscribe and follow him on YouTube as well as all the other things, all the social media sites. Um, I mentioned earlier that if you listen to that interview closely, you will get some gold nuggets. And I actually wrote down a few, just a few of the things that stuck out to me after the conversation. Uh, you know, obviously a big part of it was him t him believing that there's going to be a vintage boom. And, uh, you know, I've heard other people say that, but the way and the reasoning behind it from him was just really the best I've heard. The explanation of why he feels there's going to be a vintage boom in the next couple of years uh, really made complete sense to me. I also thought it, it was really interesting uh, again, I, I don't really go, I don't go to card shows, so I don't really have, you know, my whole experience is really online. Um, and, and so I don't really have the pulse of the card market like he does. So it was great to talk to him and, you know, him telling me that guys his age, people his age that, um, you know, into cards that he knows, he's one of the only ones right now that uh, is more vintage than modern. You know, there's other other people who collect some vintage but the majority is modern and he feels like that's going to shift over the next couple of years and let me tell you currently what i'm seeing with the the, the card companies the t the cards that they're putting out right now these new releases where there's 41 of ones for the same player in the same set there's 100 parallels 
uh, I'm telling you, it, it's going to, I think it's going to escalate that, that boom with vintage because people are, I think, going to get fed up with a lot of these new products that are coming out now where the, the pop counts are ridiculous. I hate to be negative about it. I love cards, but uh, I really feel like what I'm seeing right now myself with these new releases that are coming out, it, it's really only going to escalate, like I said, people's shift over to vintage as their majority collecting. Because I feel like long term, that's where your investment can grow the 12 to 15 percent like Ryan was talking about. Uh, I also thought that the, the, the points he made on prospecting, I've never really heard it put that way when you put it into terms like he did as far as when he mentioned you know, there's catching prospects that are probably years away from the major leagues that are selling for more than Johnny Bench cards and Buster Posey cards. I mean, when you really put it that way, it does bring out how ridiculous some of this stuff really is. The whole international thing that he brought up with uh, collectors in the UK, and, and I, I had no idea that, that that's how they really collected. And I think that is a big part of, of, of the future too. I mean, the global aspect of this whole thing, as it opens up, I think that's only going to really bring on more of that vintage boom. And then for me, actually, the thing I think that, that really stuck in my head, and it actually sent me the next day or two, it put me into the uh, a rabbit hole. I was When he mentioned that there were more Zion, you know, the amount of Zion cards that are out there graded, as compared to Shaq rookie cards, which, you know, anyone who has been in cards a long time knows that Shaq was like one of the biggest uh, players that his card values were just crushed because his rookie cards came out in the heart of the junk wax era. There were so many of them made, right? But when you, I'm actually going to do another episode just on this. When you look at the PSA counts of Shaq rookie cards, which are not worth much, and then you compare it to the PSA counts of Zion and Luca and Morant. It's it's really staggering. And him bringing that up made me really look at it further. And, and uh, there's going to be a lot more to come on that for me. And, you know, I think lastly, the way that he really put the vintage into perspective, how if you look at it a certain way, and this is really... I love the way he put this because if, if there are going to be a lot of younger people shifting at least some of their collecting from modern over to vintage, I think looking at it this way is a great way where he where he really looked at, you know, the pop counts and how you can look at each grade of a vintage card as almost like a parallel. By putting it that way, I think that is going to make a lot of sense to people his age and, and maybe that don't collect vintage now, but will. And I, I, again, one of the last things, too, is with pop counts, when he mentioned that, I think it was a great point, that low pop count doesn't always mean it's a great thing. You know, because if there's a low pop count on a card with PSA or whatever grading company, you got to ask yourself, okay, it's low, pop, it's low pop, but why? Is it because there's not a lot of those cards out there? Okay. Or is there a lot of those out there, but people just haven't graded them? Or is there no demand for it? If there's very little demand, doesn't matter how, how much the population is, the value won't really go up over time. So th again, th that was just a f some of the things that stuck with me. I look forward to speaking with Ryan again and, and digging further into some of these topics because he has a wealth of knowledge and I learn something every time I talk to him. Thanks again, and I will talk to you soon.